0: Hi friends, welcome to Mother and More, a podcast with me, Caitlin Soule. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm a wife and a mom to three kiddos. I am passionate about helping people make the changes they want to or need to make so that they can live their best life. I'm on a mission to modernize therapy, talk about mental health, motherhood, and really just life in a way that's real and helpful. In my journey to doing so, I will share stories from my own experience and tools and skills that I teach my clients in my clinical practice in hopes that you feel a little bit more inspired to lean in to deal with the tough stuff and revel in this beautiful, messy thing called life. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here recording again for this Ask a Therapist episode. I think this is episode 15 of Mother and More, and it's been a journey, you guys. I posted about it on Instagram, I think yesterday or the day before, about how... Uh, long it took me to actually decide to push record and do this thing, I had all sorts of my own limiting beliefs, which is a topic we're going to talk about today because somebody asked about limiting beliefs. So it's very fitting. I had all sorts of my own um, kind of stuck or limiting beliefs about why I wasn't good enough or qualified enough to do my own podcast. And I kind of had to just get out of my own way, um, decide to do it anyway, decide that I didn't care if people thought it was weird or different or didn't It and if one person listened, or a thousand people listened, um, which by the way, I hit the a thousand mark, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and I was so excited about it because it just was like, oh my gosh, like that's nothing by the way, I know in the big scheme of podcast things, but to me, the idea that 1,000 people listen to some of these messages about. Um, normalizing mental health and getting help for mental health and breaking down the stigma and just talking about life is so cool. That's that's all I ever wanted was just to be able to have a platform to share my thoughts about um, mental health and wellness and hopefully along the way inspire a few people to accept themselves more or to lean in more or to make the changes they need to make to live their best life. So, Yay for push and record, even though I was scared as hell, and I still am sometimes. Um, But this is so fun. I love doing this. I especially love these episodes where I get to respond to your questions. So people sent me messages via Instagram on my at mother underscore more page, and they also emailed me. Questions and then I even had a ask. Um, I even had a couple of my clients or family members of clients ask questions as well. So that was kind of cool. So as always, I'm gonna. You can send me your questions. I'm gonna do lots more of these episodes. You can DM me on Instagram, email me, go to my website. Like however you need to get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. So let's get started today. Without further ado, I am just gonna. Um, Do a short little message from our sponsor, and then I'll get right back to you with question number one. Okay, so let's dive into this. The first question, like I said, is very fitting as I've been thinking about my own journey to getting to where I am today and what kind of limiting beliefs I have. Um, of my own cause we all have them. So the first question here is, um, I see a lot about limiting beliefs. What are they? Do we all have them? How can I get rid of mine and what do I do with them? Okay. So that was a question that got sent to me on Instagram. Um, I love it. And there's so many different ways I want to answer that question, but I'm going to try and keep it as simple and helpful as possible. I want to do a little plug here because I'm really excited. Um, I'm in the process of uh, announcing, I'm in the process of developing a women's wellness workshop, um, with my dear friend, Mary, who owns a, um really successful workout studio in the area and we're going to focus on one of the topics I'm going to focus on is limiting beliefs. It's all about how do we own our power and step into our authentic selves and limiting beliefs are a huge part of that. So what are limiting beliefs? You ask. Limiting beliefs are of at its most simple level the types of beliefs yes we absolutely all have them some of us are um, have worked through them more than others and some of us are just sort of at the beginning of that process or maybe don't even know what they are so they are the beliefs that keep us stuck they're the things that we've usually been telling ourselves for a really long time like these things can be really old um most of the time they're started and developed in childhood and then kind of kept throughout the journey of our life um They're the things that um, when you notice you're about to go and do something big or different or new or scary that tell you like, hold on, pull back the reins, stop. I don't like that. That's dangerous. That's not what we do, right? So these sort of like rules and assumptions that we've made for ourselves that then turn into limiting beliefs. Let me give you some very specific examples of what those might look like. Maybe um, the top few that I hear in my practice and the work that I do are things like um, I'm I'm unworthy I'm unlovable if I'm not perfect then I'm not it's not worth it or if I'm not perfect I might as well not do it you know something like my um, uh, My achievements are what determine my worth. People with money are bad. Being rich is bad. If I don't have money, then I'm not good enough. If I don't look a certain way, then I'm not good enough. I'm unattractive. I'm flawed. You see all those beliefs sound kind of harsh, right? They sound like we're really mean-girling ourselves or mean-boying ourselves, Um, and we are. And if you really stop and pay attention and listen to the things that you tell yourself probably on the daily, maybe it doesn't sound like I'm unlovable in those specific words, but the message you're telling yourself, your script is basically telling yourself that you're not worth it or you're unlovable. So things like, "Ah, I always make that same mistake or... Uh, he's, you know, he doesn't seem like he's into me today. Like maybe, you know, maybe I've gained a few pounds or maybe he's not attracted to me anymore. Or, um, you know, I really want to step it up to that next level, but no, um, you know, people like me don't make it that far in life. I just need to be happy where I am you can hear it i i'm kind of just made up some random ones but you can kind of hear it in that conversation of the script that you might have with yourself if you really pay attention these things that we say that end up feeding into these limiting beliefs that keep us stuck so you identify them by listening to the things you tell yourself when you feel like you're on the verge of doing something new, different, novel, scary, or when you're feeling icky or just stuck or depressed or low, um, when, a, when a difficult emotion is triggered. Listen to what it is that you tell yourself, and that's how you start to identify your limiting beliefs. Now, what to do next with them um, I suggest is that you make a list of them. Uh, it sounds fun, right? You sit down and you make a list. I, I have my list. Um, things like I'm not going to show you. I, I don't have my list in front of me, um, but you know the things like I just said. Um, I'm not enough. Um, I'm not worth it. I'm unattractive. Whatever it might be, write those down. And then I want you to write another column right next to it. And I want you to label that one new beliefs, replacement beliefs, if you will. And I want you to think about the other part of you, the part of you that's quieter, the part of you that kind of gets shunned when you're in that difficult place. Because we all have this part of us, this part of us that knows that the limiting belief isn't actually true, or at least challenges that it may not always be true. But we're unwilling to listen to that voice because it feels really scary. So I want you to tell yourself something different. So let's take the example of, um, of I'm not enough. And I want you to say something like in your own words, I'm enough. I am enough exactly as I am right now. maybe take the belief that, um, I don't know if I said this one, but one of the beliefs that just came up this week with a client of mine was I'm, I'm ungrateful. I'm never satisfied. And I want you to take that, a belief like that, and maybe say something like, I'm going to actively search for gratitude in my daily life. Okay? So you get to come up with these replacement beliefs. It takes time. It takes work. It takes thought. Not a whole lot, but some. (laughs) And the hardest part now is then how do I live into these beliefs? Like, how do I make these beliefs um become a reality for me because it's not just about this one exercise obviously and sitting down and writing it it's about um each day how do i make this how do i move towards this right um this is where people tend to give up and, and say F- forget it screw it it's too hard you know so it takes like i would say read this list each day and like, give yourself a week seven days in a row read this list it's a lifelong process. But if you read this list, you know, for at least a few days in a row, a week in a row, maybe a month in a row, a year in a row, and you think of specific actions that you can do to live into those beliefs. So if you're wanting to, if your new belief is, it's my job to search for gratitude, I can be grateful then you're gonna wanna start doing some gratitude exercises. You know, maybe that looks like journaling, just picking a few things to be grateful for in the morning and jotting them down or in the evening. Or maybe it looks like some short meditation and thinking about what you're grateful for. Maybe it looks like going for a walk and noticing the colors of the trees or the grass or the things around you. I don't know what it looks like for you but there's plenty of resources out there that can help you find actual actions and exercises to help you live into these more positive beliefs and that's the kind of work i love doing with people okay so i think that covers it in like a very brief way with limiting beliefs i like i said i want to dive in more to this concept and i think i'm gonna do my whole next episode on limiting beliefs, because I think it's it's such an important concept. And I, I really find um, when I'm meeting with clients, no matter what they're coming in for, anxiety, depression, OCD, or just wanting to do some personal growth or um, work on their self-esteem or self-confidence, limiting beliefs always come up. Okay, next question. How can I support somebody through a panic attack? This one was on Instagram too. So I don't know many details about um, kind of the context behind this question, but I do have some general answers for for you. How can you support someone through a panic attack? So as a non-mental health professional, as someone that's just witnessing a panic attack, maybe you're a friend or a family member, um, you're just going to be with them. Okay. I want you to hear that. You're just going to be with them. You're not going to ask why or feed into their fear and anxiety by being like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? Like maybe you are having a, pan- maybe you are having a heart attack. Let's get you to the ER. Let's get you to the hospital. I'm not like making fun of that. Cause I know if this is the first panic attack you've witnessed, it can feel a little bit scary because you are probably genuinely uncertain what's going on with this person. But if you know that it's a panic attack or you can assume that it's a panic attack, you can just sit there, be with them. Don't ask questions don't feed into the anxiety. Here's the key. You want to help them get grounded and feel safe. And how do you do that? Well, you can say things like, it's okay. I'm with you. I'm right here. Take a deep breath, slow down. You can do some grounding, simple grounding exercises with them. You can say things like, I want you to just like feel your feet touching the ground. Um, I want you to notice, like stare at your hands and notice your hands. I want you to pick something on, um, a picture to look at and stare at for a while, help them feel grounded. And maybe that grounding is just by you saying, I'm here with you right next to you. You're safe. This will pass. I think that's the most important thing you can say. Hey, this will pass. I'm here with you. Let's get through this together. Okay now after the fact when the panic attack has subsided because they always do you know panic attacks cannot last forever um they can't last forever they're so common you don't have to have panic disorder to have them um most everybody experiences at least one in their life i did an episode before on panic you can go back and check it out to hear more facts on panic but I just want to like remind you guys that panic attacks are really common and they are highly, highly treatable. So this leads me into the next thing is after the fact, being able to get a little bit curious. And I don't mean like five minutes after the fact, I mean later, you know, later that day or the next day or when that person's willing to talk about it, to say, Hey, um, you know, like you were really brave through that, that looked really hard. If you've had an experience with panic, you can share yours, be, you know, open up a little bit to them to make them feel a little bit more, Uh, to normalize it a bit and then you can get curious and say i'm wondering like how often does that happen for you you know uh, how how much do you struggle with that can i help you with it can i help you find resources can we do a google search or go on psychology today and look for a therapist who specializes in treating panic disorders who specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy do we need to see your doctor and think about medication My caveat on medication, though, is that um, I am so open. I'm a huge advocate for medication for mental health. Um, You know, research shows that the best practice for people who who are struggling with anxiety disorders or depression and OCD is medication paired with mental health therapy. Those two things. Now, if it's a little bit less acute and you're struggling, you know, if this is a new struggle or, you know, it's not greatly dysfunctioning, causing huge dysfunction in your life, I always suggest starting with therapy and then seeing if you might need medication. Like if you can't get to the point because um, whatever's going on, you're struggling to get to the point where we can really dive into the therapeutic work, then we might need to think about medication and that's absolutely fine. But here's my caveat with medication for panic is that a lot of times doctors prescribe things like Xanax, things like volume. I don't think they describe, prescribe volume so much anymore, but yeah, specifically things like Xanax um, that are benzos. Okay. And here's here's the deal with that. It's like putting a huge band-aid on the problem but not actually cleaning out the wound or like throwing away and it feels good because it's like you're literally getting rid of all the person's fear and anxiety in that moment and sometimes that's necessary sometimes people just need to have to know they have that pill to take if it gets really bad i no harm no foul i get it but when you're relying on it for every panic attack and you're having multiple panic attacks not only does it do you run the risk of becoming addicted as we know benzos are highly addictive but we also and and equally important run the risk of forming the limiting belief that we can't handle ourselves that we can't get through a panic attack that panic attacks are dangerous see we're sending this very like very um clear message to our brain when we're taking a benzo for a panic attack that this is dangerous i need it to stop now and i can't handle it so then that then feeds the fear right it makes it more intense so there's that sort of loop that happens or that cycle that happens when we feel fear take medicine and the fear goes away okay Again, not a, like, tyrant against medicine. I definitely believe in medication, especially for um, ongoing depression and anxiety. But for panic attacks, I think it gets a little tricky. All right. All right hope that was helpful like I said I had a previous podcast episode on panic attacks you can check it out I don't know what number it was but it's all all about panic and I think um, I think it would be really helpful for you to listen to or anyone else who's wondering about panic okay next question you guys um, this is a really common one so I hope um, I'm sure e- either you or somebody in your life has struggled with this um, this question again on Instagram, really short because it was a question. It was like one of those question stickers. And then you respond with a short question. Um, I don't know what I'm saying right now, but anyways, let's get to it. The question is I struggle with health anxiety. Do you have any tips for me? Oh man. I do. I work. I have a few people on my current caseload who are seeing me for health anxiety, and it's one of the things that I um, have, that I specialize in. So I, I deal with it a lot, and I struggle with it a little bit on my own. So I can think of it from a personal level and a professional level, um, which I think is helpful. So let's let's kind of unpack health anxiety a little bit. What is it actually? Health anxiety, like other types of anxiety, really comes down to this, and I want you to think about this. Maybe write it down if you've got if you're not driving and you have like a notebook out for some reason or you got your phone close to you, cuz I think this concept right here is really helpful for people who have anxiety to think about. What is anxiety? And in this case, what is health anxiety? Health anxiety is an overestimation of risk, paired with an underestimation of your ability to cope. I'm going to say it again. Think about it. It's an overestimation of risk paired with your under your underestimation of your own ability to cope. All right, so if you're like writing it out like a formula, it's like underestimation or sorry, overestimation of risk over like the little division thing. I'm terrible at math. <laughs> over Over your overestimation of your ability to cope. So, health anxiety, that overestimation of risk, right? Sure, um, none of us get through life without some sort of health ailment, um, struggle, disease, problem, whatever you wanna call it. It's gonna happen, right? So, part of this is just that acceptance of this is just part of life, right? Um, But when you have health anxiety, Every little sensation in your body or every little feeling in your body triggers that. Earlier, I talked, I've talked about the amygdala before and how it's our, um, how the amygdala is responsible for keeping us safe and triggering fear. So that way um, we stay alive. But when people have anxiety, their amygdala um, is being fired way too often when there's not imminent danger in front of them. So it's like that. False alarm, you know, that fire alarm going off for burnt popcorn versus an actual fire. So, with health anxiety, that amygdala, amygdala whoa, that's a tongue twister, is really overactive. And you feel a sensation in your body and you think, uh oh, what's this? Oh my gosh, what's happening? I have a brain tumor, right? Or oh, this might be cancer. Or what's this, you know, this rash, what if it turns into the measles? I don't know, I'm just coming up with stuff because I'm a little bit crazy myself when it comes to these (laughs) sort of situations, Um, and I hear it all in my work. So yeah, how one body sensation, one rash, one feeling can turn into catastrophe, right? Right. And because of that, that's where the uh, worry cycle starts. Then we start to, what do you think happens, right? You feel feel a sensation. You think, oh, shit, this is it. Something's going to happen, or this is going to be this terrible disease. And then you start to feel the sensation more. It gets more and more intense, right? You all know that cycle if you have health anxiety. It's just there, okay? So that's the overestimation of risk. And then the underestimation of your ability to cope piece is... So what, what if I do have, you know, insert disease here or condition here? Is it necessarily a death sentence? Like, am I going to die or is it possible? Is it possible that I could cope, that I could heal, that I could get the right kind of help and get better? of course that's possible, right? So we really have to look at our ability to cope that if the worst case scenario were to happen, could we handle it? Of course we could. Would we want to handle it? No, but we'd have to do some really um, powerful sort of like shifting of mindset work or perspective work to lean into our strength and courage or whatever the heck it is and just recognize that we can handle really hard things, okay? So that is what health anxiety is sort of like made of, the chemistry of health anxiety and the cycle that it sort of, that keeps it going. So so tips on how to help somebody with health anxiety, I'm going to tell you the first and most important thing is don't feed into it, okay? So if you can, say you're in partnership with somebody who has health anxiety and they're coming up to you and they're like, hey, look at this rash. I think my husband's probably laughing right now (laughs) because... Um, this is me. Um, I've gotten so much better you guys, but I think I really, I, I used to struggle with like health anxiety for sure. And now I just tell myself to stop and I, I stop the cycle right in its tracks, but on a good day, on a bad day, I kind of feed into it a little bit. So here's how it works. You go up to your partner or your friend or your mom or your dad or your coworker. And you're like, do you see this rash? Like, what do you think this is? Right. Or even worse, you Google it. Okay. So. Um, if you're in partnership with or friendship with somebody who has health anxiety, don't feed into it by being like, I don't know, that looks a little funny or I don't know. You should Google it. Just be like, I don't know. Right. That sounds like your anxiety talking. Okay. It's going to piss the person off because they want reassurance. That's what they're looking for. Newsflash reassurance feeds and makes anxiety grow okay so we're not going to be rude you're not going to be like dismissive but you're just going to be like lovingly like um yep that you know honey i care about you but that sounds like it's your anxiety talking if it's still bothering you in a couple days why don't you email your doctor or set up an appointment very matter of fact helpful yet not feeding into the anxiety so that's my main tip for somebody who's not a mental health professional on how to help someone with their health anxiety. And then if you figure like if it's getting really pervasive and it keeps going and going and going and they're not getting better and it's just like, oh my gosh, they're always worrying, I would help them um, find resources and get some mental health help because health anxiety is really treatable too. All anxiety is really treatable with the right kind of help. Um, and the kind of help that that looks like is doing that work, like I said, that cognitive restructuring work of what is the risk, really? Could I handle it, really? Um, what sort of behaviors do I need to stop doing, like Googling, asking for reassurance? Um, sometimes, you know, I, inc- I do incorporate mindfulness, of course. Um, like some meditation, relaxation, um gratitude, all those things I incorporate into this. Cause I think it's so important to bolster up the things that are healthy about us instead of just focus on the things that aren't healthy. Okay, moving on next one. This one's really, um, near and dear to my heart because not only am I a mom, but I have lots of mom friends and am in relationship with people who I know have struggled or do struggle with postpartum. I struggled with it a little bit myself with my second child. Um, I didn't get diagnosed with postpartum depression, um, but I think I had some, and I wish I would have gone back. I think it would have made that first six months or year of her life for me a little bit more um, enjoyable if I would have gone back and got some of my own help at the time, whether that was medication or therapy. So this question is about postpartum. It says, a dear friend of mine may be struggling with postpartum depression, but I'm not a mental health professional and I'm not sure how can I help? I'm at a loss for what to do because I don't want to, sorry, I don't want to cross any boundaries. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a hard one, right? Um, You want to be sensitive to the person and not assume that you know they have postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or maybe are just struggling in the postpartum phase but you also want to be supportive and you want to let them know that there's help okay so um you're gonna have to put aside some of your own fear your own pride your own people pleasing whatever it might be um and if you're really close with this person you are gonna have to i think i encourage you to say something Because we know now that postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, postpartum psychosis, all those things are so very real and so very dangerous to mom and to baby potentially, right? So we want to take it really seriously. So here's where you start. You start with getting, you start with support. You start by showing up if you can, right? Or asking somebody else to help you show up, Um, bring them a meal, have a cup of coffee with them, Maybe share with them your experience of struggle if you have one. Just be there with them, sit with them in it. Don't try and get rid of it or fix it in that moment. Um, I saw a wonderful meme on Instagram. That sounds, sounds like ridiculous, but it was. And it said, um, now I have to remember it off the top of my head, but it was something along the lines of people don't need you to take away their pain. They need you to sit with them in it until they're ready to pick it up. I may have gotten it wrong, but doesn't that sound kind of good? It's true though, you guys. You just need to sit there with them and be in it for a bit. Maybe get a little bit curious about it. Ask how you can support them and be with them. Ask what their experience has been like. What are they struggling with? Okay, so first is support. Second is curiosity. And third would be if they do open up and they are willing to talk to you a little bit more to let them know that there is help available. And it doesn't have, I think therapy obviously is, is great for this. Um, in, in, depending on how acute or not it is, they may need therapy and medication or just medication first and then therapy, but there's also great support groups. There's breastfeeding support groups. There's mom groups, there's groups really just for about any kind of mom and in the community that are free so a good place to start is with uh, uh, with the doctor's office with the OB office Um, I think OBs are doing a better and better job of providing this kind of support for their patients so but you have to say something first and that's the hardest part is because we as women feel You know, we have these ideas and beliefs, these limiting beliefs. There it is again, um, that we should just know how to be a mom. We should be happy with our newborn baby. We should, we should, we should, right? So we feel shame around saying something or even suggesting that we might be struggling or not like in this euphoric new mom state, right? Well, that's just bullshit. Okay. Maybe you are a little bit euphoric and good for you. That's awesome. But the thing is, is that's not most people's experience. Not everybody struggles with postpartum depression or anxiety. Not everybody even struggles a lot with postpartum, but so many people do. You are not alone. So get the resources, help them get the resources by connecting with the doctor's office or going online and Googling like community resources. Um, What people need when they're struggling with postpartum most is to know they're not alone, that they're not on an island Um, You guys, I have the chills saying this because, yeah, this is very near and dear to my heart. Um, And I and I in my work, I just I'm passionate about working with women around this issue. And in my own life, I I have friends who have struggled with it and I've struggled with it. So get the help them get the help they need by first supporting them. Second, um, offering up um, some community groups for them or some therapy. Um, Just be there with them. And don't be afraid to say something or ask, okay? All right, last question. Oh my gosh, this one. <laughs> Tell us something people may not know about you. Okay, this is kind of fun because I feel like definitely on Instagram, I, I think I show up as my authentic self as a person, as a mom, as a therapist, but I don't get to always show like the fun sort of like... Um, non-therapist nom, non-mom side of me so thanks for asking I will tell you something that you may not know about me people who know me really well do know this and I'm just gonna start by saying country music I am a huge country music fan this may, may, pe- may make people really annoyed because I know there are a lot of people out there who don't like country music um, and that's cool You don't have to, but I do. And I grew up listening to, and I'm not talking about just like country music pop. In fact, some of that really annoys me and some of it's really fun. But I grew up listening to like Johnny Cash, Willie Whalen, The Boys, if you know old country music, you know what I'm talking about. I used to listen to it with my dad all the time growing up and just like in his truck or in our house on the old record, record player and the vinyl records and just like the grittiness of the sound and the lyrics. I'm a sucker for lyrics, not surprising because I'm a sucker for story and country music is all about story and that's what I love about it. And sure, some of it's sad and depressing, but like it's also really reflective of life and some of it's really joyful and fun. So for me, it's country music, old country music, gritty country music, not necessarily honky tonk. I'm not a big fan of like the twang, but I just like that. I love the lyrics. In fact, going a little further into this, um, I I once wrote a country music song for a while um, in between my like, uh, career in tv production i don't call it the beginning of a career in tv production let's be real i was like a production assistant but it was really fun um and in between that and grad school for psychology i was uncertain on what i wanted to do and whenever i'm uncertain in what i want to do or whenever i'm just sort of like in a place in life where i need to figure stuff out i just write as i've talked about before and so i really got into i was already into country music and i really got into this idea of writing song lyrics and i dreamed of moving to nashville and being a songwriter well that didn't quite work out but i did write a song and i did send it to a production company in nashville and they did pick it up and they had a singer record it to see if any other singers wanted to produce it and like record it if that makes sense and it never went anywhere but it was pretty cool even to get to that step for me and and i still have the song maybe someday i'll share it with you um And yeah, so that was my little stint in country music songwriting. And now I still write for fun and for create creativity. And sometimes I do write song lyrics, but most of the time I just write on Instagram now. (laughs) So there you go. That's a couple fun facts about me. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I I love answering your questions. I love being able to share my perspective. Oh my gosh, I I meant to put this in the beginning of the episode because I think it's so important. Um, but I don't edit these episodes, so I, I wouldn't know how to go back and do this. So this is all unscripted. This is just me talking because I don't have the time to edit or the know-how right now. Maybe someday. Here's what I want to say. Disclaimer. This is not a replacement for mental health therapy or professional help. This is just me as a person who happens to be a therapist sharing my thoughts, feelings and beliefs on these topics, okay? So, not a replacement. I most of you know, not a not a replacement for professional help. If you need professional help, check out the resources near you. Um, I do offer professional help in a professional capacity, HIPAA compliant, um, via in-person sessions in my private practice in Petaluma, California, as well as um, I do remote video sessions for people who don't live in the area or for people like moms who don't want to get out or can't get out of the house um, without needing childcare, or who are working moms who just like want to do it on their lunch break and maximize their times or working dads who are wanting to do the same thing so you guys remote video sessions i have a couple spots open right now you can go to my website petaluma cbt.org Um, or therapywithkatelyn.org if that's easier for you to remember. They both lead you to the same place, and you can schedule online. I do have a couple slots open. You can also schedule with a therapist on my team. Her name is Danielle. She's awesome. She's just doing in-person sessions right now. Soon she'll start doing video sessions, but right now she's just in person. She specializes in working with young, young kiddos, also adults, but she works on anxiety. She works on co-parenting strategies um, and, uh, couples work as well. So she's really great. Um, check her out, check me out. You can schedule with us online website, PetalumaCBT.org. That's all I'll say about that. Um, thanks for being here and I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your week. Cheers. for listening and if you enjoyed what you heard head on over to apple podcasts or itunes to subscribe so that way you can be notified as new podcast episodes become available also i'd love it if you take the time to write me a review or leave me a rating you can follow alongside my journey on instagram at mother underscore more where i talk about things like mental health wellness motherhood modernizing therapy and sort of all the things and if you're interested in working one-on-one with me or finding out more about the kind of work I do, you can check out my website, which is therapywithkatelyn.com. Remember, you are so worth the work it takes to live your very best life.